morning, church. Somebody say hallelujah. 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 Come on, come on, come on. You're alive, you're awake, you're breathing. Spirit of the living God, pour afresh on us. You woke us up this morning. You brought us to worship with your people, whether in person or online. We, we are thankful today. We are grateful to you today. You have met our needs. You have provided for us. You've healed us. You've saved us. You've restored us. You've reconciled us. You've given us a new name and a future and a hope that cannot be taken by any of the circumstances we face today. So we just say thank you. We just say thank you, thank you, thank you. You are good. You are goodness itself. We know what good is because of you. So re receive our, our meager, our feeble, our inadequate, our, our broken, our fragile thanks. Inhabit the praises of your people today, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen, amen. It's good to be with you, Carlton. I'm so glad to be with you all this morning. My name is David Swanson. I'm bringing you greetings today from uh, your family uh, in Bronzeville on the south side of Chicago. And uh, boy, it's just, um, it's nice to be in this beautiful building. Amen. I can testify to some of the previous places that New Community Covenant Church has worshipped over the years. God is good. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm going to do something. I'm going to just take a, a point of privilege as the, as the guest this morning. Uh, and maybe you'll never invite me back, and that's okay. I, I, that's all right. But, um, you know, one of the things that I like to do when I'm visiting churches is to pray for the leaders of that, of that congregation. That's just a habit that, that I have. I have a heart for ministry leaders and, and for pastors. And, and, and what I want to do first this morning is just say thank you uh, as a church, new community. Thank you for your faithfulness uh, throughout uh, a, a strange season, a pandemic uh, season, an unpredictable season. And, and yet during this time, you all have continued to, to show up, to serve your community, to serve your neighbors, to lift up the name of Jesus. And so for whatever it's worth from me, thank you for representing Jesus so well during this time. What, what I also want to do, though, is I, I, I want to actually pray for, for your leaders because this church is in a season of transition right now. And, uh, and, and I'm so grateful for your founding pastor, Pastor Peter Hong. The only reason why our church is today is because God gave Peter enough faith to say we should plant that church because there wasn't a whole lot of others of us saying we should plant that church. And so I will forever be grateful for Pastor Peter Hong for sending some of us in faith to start that, start that community. And as you are in a season of transition now, waiting expectantly on God to, to lead you, to guide you, to give you discernment, God has given you some amazing leaders, some ministry staff and some leadership team folks. And so again, just point of privilege, I'm going to ask that, that those leaders just stand up right now so that I can pray for them. 
If you are on the leadership team, if you are on the ministry staff, yeah, give it up. You can give it up for these folks. I don't know them all personally, but I, I know that uh, serving in ministry behind the scenes is, uh, is interesting. Can we say interesting, Emily? It's unpredictable. Um, and yet they all, I know, have been faithful and diligent in, in their call and their service, humbly lifting you all up in prayer, listening for the word of the Holy Spirit. And so if, if you would just do me the favor of, of joining me and blessing them in prayer in this moment. God, we thank you for the good gifts that you give your people. God, we thank you for the way that you call women and men into service and leadership for the good and the nourishment of your people. Lord, we thank you for the spiritual gifts represented among those standing right now. That you have given every gift that is necessary that this congregation would grow up into maturity in our Lord Jesus Christ. Spirit of the living God, we thank you for their testimonies. We thank you for the answered prayers in their lives. We thank you for the way that you have met them in very specific situations over this season, encouraging them, speaking truth to them, and pointing their attention and their allegiance and their affections to Jesus and Jesus alone. Lord, would you bless them now? Would you fill them up now? Would you anchor them and root them so deeply in their Lord Jesus that no circumstance, no situation, no little bit of news would distract them from who they are in you? Bless them and let, let them know your blessing today. Let it be a, a blessing that they can experience and testify to the, the blessed, the abundant life that you promised them so that this whole congregation would thrive and flourish of their rootedness in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Our passage this morning comes from James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. In a minute, I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 25. I'd invite you, if you are able, to stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. James writes, But be doers of the Word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the Word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves, and on going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. And you may be seated. From this passage this morning, I'll preach from the title, Being With Jesus. Being with Jesus. I'm glad this morning to be joined by my wife Maggie and my son Elliot and Winston. Get to worship together is a real treat, not something we get to do on most Sundays. It's been a few years now since I've had the chance to be with you on a Sunday morning for worship. Back in 2008, when I joined the ministry staff here, one of the things that drew me to New Community Covenant Church was your shared commitment that faith in Jesus is meant to be lived. 
Some of my previous ministry experiences could sometimes feel as though we were spending a lot of time convincing people that their belief in Jesus ought to impact how they actually lived. But here at New Community, I found a community of doers. People who wanted to experience justice and reconciliation, not someday, but today. And it was refreshing. And when we planted the church in Bronzeville, I believe we took that DNA with us. So from from that vantage point, it might appear as though we don't have all that much to learn from these verses in James's letter. His concern seemed to be with those who were not living their faith. Those who were content to hear the word of God without putting it into practice. And historically, at least, this has not been your issue. We are doers. However, if we look just a little bit more closer, I think we can pick up on an important nuance in these verses. James taught that faithful doing came from faithful seeing. In other words, James is not just warning us away from empty hearing. He's pointing us to a particular kind of doing, a particular way of living our faith, which comes from a particular way of seeing. We notice this in James's example of a person who looks at their face in a mirror before forgetting what they look like the second they turn away. This is the one who hears the faith without living it. Now we might think that the opposite of this would be the one who remembers their face, the one who does instead of hears. But instead, James makes a slight but significant shift. The doers who act their faith are, as James says, those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Now, when James describes the forgetful person who looks into a mirror, he uses the word for look, which is the word for consider. I look into the mirror, quickly consider if I can get away without shaving, and then turn away and quickly forget all about my face. But the one who looks into the law of liberty is doing a different kind of looking. The word here is the word meaning to look through, to stoop down, or to lean in. You see, the lesson here is not that the opposite of empty hearing is active doing. Rather, we are being invited to a particular sort of seeing, a seeing which leads to faithful doing, which leads to living our faith. So what is it that we are able to see with such attention and care? Well, when James references the perfect law, the law of liberty, it appears that he is remembering Jesus, who was likely his own brother, who fulfilled the Torah, the Jewish law, 
Having defeated sin, death, and the devil, Jesus now stands as the source of this world's freedom. And this is the one we are invited to see. Not simply to look at before turning away and forgetting, but to gaze upon, to take into our very selves. We can imagine James as he is writing these words, remembering what Jesus said in John 15 and 4, abide in me as I abide in you. So yes, James is warning us against the sort of hypocritical spirituality exemplified by those who hear without doing. But there is a note of caution as well for the doers among us. Doing for Jesus while living detached from Jesus diminishes the abundant and blessed life we were created for. So with the time I have left, I want us to focus on just one idea. Living for Jesus begins with being with Jesus. Living for Jesus starts with being with Jesus. Our doing comes from our being. And, and, and my guess is that nobody here would have any problem with that. And that makes me a little bit nervous, actually. Because if we're not careful, this sort of thing ends up being little more than a spiritual cliche meant to make us feel better on a Sunday morning. So we probably better be a little bit more specific. What does it actually look like to be with Jesus. And here too, I believe James can help us. So let's look at three characteristics of being with Jesus, which we can draw from these verses. This kind of being with Jesus is first tenacious, is second communal, and third, it is joyful. As you and I prioritize this sort of being, this sort of abiding, this sort of seeing, we can avoid the bifurcation of hearing and doing and instead become the kind of people who live our faith. Do people say amen here, Carlton? Amen. Amen. Out of practice. All right, let's practice speaking back this morning. Living for Jesus begins with being with Jesus, and this being is tenacious. Say tenacious. When you think about being with Jesus, what do you picture? What do you imagine? What comes into your head? I'm guessing that for many of us, there are certain emotions. I, I feel peaceful. I feel secure. Maybe we imagine certain results. I, I, I gain more wisdom from being with Jesus. I gain more insight into a difficult situation. Uh, my hunch is that when we think about being with Jesus, there is a certain thing that comes into our imagination. A few years ago, I bought some, some prayer beads because I imagined sitting and meditating on the Lord's Prayer and praying through the Lord's Prayer with my prayer beads. And, and can I tell you, my prayer beads are, are not very worn out. <laughs> They're a little dusty. My guess is that for many of us, our actual experience of being with Jesus doesn't always line up with how we imagine being with Jesus. 
And, and when this happens, we get discouraged and we pull back and maybe we assume that, that being with Jesus is for somebody else, somebody more spiritually advanced than me. What do we do when what we imagine being with Jesus is supposed to be like doesn't match our actual experience. James says in verse 25 that those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, will persevere, will endure, will remain, will be tenacious. Why do we have to persevere when it comes to being with Jesus? It seems like it should just be natural, right? Why do we have to be tenacious? Well, for one, we have an enemy who would seek to distract us. An enemy who would seek to use trials and temptations to pull our affections and allegiances away from Jesus. But there's another thing, which is that our desires, our loves, our wants have been misshapen, misformed, so that we want other things more than we want Jesus. Test this out in the morning. What, what do you wake up in the morning wanting more than anything else? A coffee? <laughs> Your phone? Cable news? What is it that you spend just mindlessly your first half an hour, 45 minutes in the morning doing? This is what you love the most. This is what you want the most. I'm speaking confessionally here. We live in a world that orients our loves and our desires and our wants and wishes in certain kinds of ways. And so, so when we come to say we want to be with Jesus, we have to acknowledge that actually we don't always want to be with Jesus. That we are growing in our wants, growing in our loves, growing in our desires to be with Jesus. This means that we have to persevere. We have to be tenacious. This means that our being with Jesus won't always feel like having Carlton playing the piano behind you and the soft-filtered gaze and the smoke machine and the, the quiet and the kids sleeping in. It won't always feel like that. It might feel more like we have to, to choose to be with Jesus. Like we have to rearrange our schedule just a little bit. Like we have to ask a friend to help us be accountable to be with Jesus, or, or another friend to remind us of what God has done in our lives because we forget. What does it look like to be tenacious in our being? I, I think it means acknowledging that, that we don't always feel like being with Jesus. We don't have to pretend. We can confess and acknowledge that there are other things we want more. It's in our confession that the Holy Spirit begins to rearrange and reorient our loves and our desires. We can also remember that this coming to love being with Jesus will take place over the scope of our entire lives. And wouldn't it be nice if just tomorrow we wanted nothing more than to be with Jesus all the time? But we have our lives in front of us to grow into these new loves and these new desires. So be gentle with yourselves. When you find yourself loving something else more, don't allow that to send you down to spiral of guilt. Simply acknowledge, yes, my heart still loves other things, but Jesus, help me to love you more. Spirit, help me to love you more. Something else we can do is to, to simply set aside some regular times, maybe daily. Maybe it's in the morning. Maybe it's at your lunch break. I'm going to take five minutes and just shut everything off. I'm going to look out my window if you have a window, and I'm just going to be quiet in the presence of God. 
Maybe on a weekly basis you say, I want to set aside Resurrection Sunday, the day that we acknowledge that Jesus has risen risen from the dead, and, and, and rest, and Sabbath, and play, and rejoice. Maybe on a monthly basis, you you set aside a couple of hours just to review your month so that you can remember all the ways that God has been faithful to you. Maybe on a yearly basis, you, you look at the church calendar and you notice that there are seasons of feasting and fasting and that you need some feasting and some fasting in your life. That you are going to intentionally set aside weeks at a time to abstain, to pull back, to reflect, and you're going to set aside weeks at a time to feast in the presence of the resurrection of your Lord. We could go on. There are practical ways that you and I can be tenacious in our being with Jesus. And finally, we can ask for help. That that, that one of the ways that you and I persevere in our being with Jesus is that that we ask others to come alongside of us. Maybe you've said, I want to take that five minutes over my lunch break, but then you find that that five minutes you're you're using on YouTube or or, or on Instagram or or looking at the headlines. Maybe you just text a friend and say, hey, this week at 1230, would you just pray for me (laughs) that I would just take those five minutes and pay attention to the presence of God? Would you check in with me on Saturday? (laughs) Just ask how how I did it that. Would you encourage me in this? Does that make sense? We sometimes make it more complicated than it needs to be, amen? But you're not alone as you seek to be in the presence of Jesus. Living for Jesus begins with being with Jesus, and this being is tenacious. Secondly, this being is communal. Say communal. Mm. Say communal. That's okay. I guess it's the mass that's making us a little choir. I'm going to give that to you. In the same way that we imagine being with Jesus in certain kinds of ways, I think that we imagine being with Jesus as being pretty individual, pretty solitary. My hunch is that if most of us were to picture what what is that moment where I just knew I was in the presence of Christ, for many of us it would be very, very me and Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with that. Our personal relationship with Christ is deeply, deeply important. But what we find in Scripture is that our being with Jesus is primarily communal. What is most normal when it comes to being with Jesus is that we are with Jesus together. Now that, for some of us introverts, we're like, uh, really? Does that have to be that way? Apparently, I speak as an introvert. Yes, we need each other when it comes to being with Jesus. In 1 Peter 2 and 9, we read that the people of God are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It's corporate, it's communal, it's together language. And when we shift from being solitary in our approach to being communal, I think we start to hear a different kind of invitation to being with our Lord. Yes, we need time alone, but what's normal is the together time. Pastor Rich Velotis, in his book, The Deeply Formed Life, he writes this, In Jesus' death and resurrection, the world is set on a trajectory of renewal. But God graciously invites us to work toward this future. However, this work is not individual. It is one orchestrated by the collected efforts of a new family in the power of the Spirit. What this means is that God is not simply in the business of saving souls. He is in the business of creating a new family. 
In other words, being with Jesus happens in community. As I was writing this, I thought, well, I think New Community already gets this. It's in our name, right? New Community. I've been around our churches long enough to know that we have prioritized community and being the people of God together. But, but, but did anybody notice we, we're in the middle of a pandemic right now? And, and, and you as a church are in a season of transition right now? And what this means is that there's a kind of splintering and scattering effect that many of us have experienced over these months. There is a kind of a pushing apart that seems natural and normal right now. And many of us have spent months participating in church online. Anybody here love being online? Even the people who are online today probably don't love being online. Maybe, maybe staying in your pajamas part. It's pretty nice on a Sunday. I've never experienced it, Carlton. I don't know what that's like, but I've, I've heard that it's pretty nice. And I fear that with, uh, with our, our online participation, which has been absolutely essential and even a gift during this time, that, that some of our American values of hyper-individualism and consumerism are working their way more deeply into us. On the, on the positive side... God is bringing new people to your church during this season. God is bringing women and men who are new to the city or new to the faith or new to being a part of a church community. And they're saying, I'm excited about this and, and I want to be involved and I want to be a part of what's going on here. So for all kinds of reasons, I believe that it's important that we are prioritizing being with Jesus together in this time. If we are to live out our faith during these strange and unpredictable days, we have to prioritize being with Jesus in the company of our sisters and our brothers in Christ. So let me suggest a few things, a few ways that we do this. One, we prioritize gathering together as the people of God. Now, I... I, I, <laughs> I know sometimes people are like, pastors say that because, you know, they want people to come to the church and, you know, their egos feel better if there's more people in the pews. Well, that's not, not my congregation, so, I, you know, I really believe this. Well, this is not a religious duty or religious obligation. We need each other right now. We need to understand that we belong to one another right now. We need to experience in our bodies that we are not isolated individuals, but we are members of the body of Christ. And for those of you who are online right now and need to be online for lots of different good reasons, it means that even when you don't want to be online, you choose to be online and to participate in that way because you too are a member of the body of Christ. Church in the building, say amen to the people online. We need each other during this time. So we prioritize gathering together. We also prioritize checking on the people we haven't seen in a while. The people who feel a little bit, you know, rootless right now. The people whose, whose faith feels really rocky right now. The people who aren't sure is new community a, a, a home for me right now. We don't go after them and say, you need to come back here on a Sunday morning. We just say, how you doing? How can I be praying for you? What's God doing in your life? We, we check on our friends and family members who feel a bit scattered right now. We also welcome those who God is calling to the church right now. Amen? I had this weird experience where our church started meeting outside in a parking lot this, this summer after, you know, being totally online. And there was all these new people coming 
but they didn't think they were new. And I was confused. And they were talking to me like they knew me and like they knew our church because they've been online for months. They've been scoping us out, checking us out, reading the website. And they're like, no, this is our church now. I'm like, really? I don't even, who are you exactly? Now, I don't know if that's the case for you, but, but, but there are newer people in this congregation right now. And those of you who are old timers, by which I mean you've been here six months or longer, you need to welcome these sisters and brothers. You need to get your arms around them, learn their stories, learn their names, so that when they walk in here, they just feel like, oh, this is my family. I belong here. I'm loved here. And, and this is the last thing I want to suggest to you. We need you, New Community Covenant Church, to prioritize your identity as a reconciled and reconciling people. I want to say this really carefully because there is a way in which during seasons of, of, of transition or seasons of wilderness like we're all in right now that we can think like, well, well that's, a, like that's an extra thing. You know, we just got to focus on the necessities right now. We just got to make sure Sunday to Sunday is happening. Our small groups are happening. Church, your identity as a reconciled and reconciling people is not optional. It's not, it's, not, it's not a silo. It's not a ministry. It's not for a few people who love the justice of God. This is your identity. This is who you are as the people of God. You don't get to choose this. If you are new to new community, again, point of privilege, you've said yes to being a part of a racially diverse community whose very essence is a proclamation to the principalities and the powers that there is a God who so loved the world that he's reconciling everything and everybody. That justice is not something for a few, but it is central to being the people of God. That's what you said yes to. And so new community, I need you to believe that even during this season of transition, that even when, when none of us know what next week is going to hold, I need you to prioritize your identity as a reconciled and reconciling people. I need you to take, we need to take risks for that. To step out in faith in that. To be willing to be uncomfortable in living in to that. Somebody say amen. Being with Jesus means being with Jesus together. This week I was, I was praying out of a, a prayer book that I use sometimes called the, the Benedictine Daily Prayer. And I found this prayer. Lord our Father, each morning you welcome us as we are. Give us a heart that is pure and free. And then listen to this. And discover in our brothers and sisters the message of life you bring to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We hear and discover and are formed by the message of the gospel in the lives of our sisters and our brothers. We need each other. We need to be with Jesus together. And then finally, finally, this being with Jesus is joyful. Somebody say joyful. This week I was uh, meeting a, a member of our church for coffee and we were both sharing how the pandemic is, was really hard, is really hard for both of us. Uh, for me, I've experienced seasons of, of real loneliness over these, over these months. She was sharing how, how the, this time has kind of been revealing in her life for things that she'd been relying on instead of Jesus. And we were saying it's good, God's doing a good thing in us, but man, 
It's hard. We kind of like to be done learning these lessons right about now. And I have to admit to you that there have been times over these past 18 months when I've wondered, is it okay to be joyful? Am I allowed to be joyful right now? Because there's so much that's wrong. There's so much that's painful. There's so many people who are suffering. Can I, is it okay for me to be joyful? James says that those who live their faith will be blessed. They will be blessed in their doing. Can I ask you this morning, has your doing for Jesus been joyful? Is is how we are living out our faith attractive? Is it compelling? Is it beautiful? Again and again, as we read the New Testament, what we find is that the early Christians prioritized joy. They actually believed Jesus when he promised that his way led to the abundant and the blessed life. I promise you their circumstances were no more inherently joyful than are ours. The situations they faced were no easier than the situations that you and I face. These were women and men who knew marginalization, who experienced famine, pandemics, some of them very real persecution. They were doing and living their faith in real life just like you are. And so James begins his letter in verse 2 of chapter 1. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Joy. James writes this because they were actually experiencing trials and joy. Being with Jesus is joyful. Being with Jesus is is joyful. How could we not be joyful as we abide with the one who feeds the birds of the air and clothes the lilies of the field in their splendor? How could we not be joyful as we abide with the one who quiets the thundering storm and the murmuring crowd with a word? How could we not be joyful as we abide with the one who heals our limbs and restores our sight and quiets our shame? How could we not be joyful? To riff on Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, this one who we get to be with is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of creation. He is the one through whom all things in heaven and on earth were created. The the one you get to be with is the one who is before all things and the one in whom all things hold together. He is the head of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn of the dead. The, The one who you get to be with is the fullness of God. The one through whom God has reconciled all things on heaven and on earth by making peace through the blood of his cross. How could we not be joyful 
as we abide with him. How could we not rejoice in his presence? I'm going to linger here for a moment. The transcendent, categorically distinct Son of God took on our flesh and our vulnerability that we might be with him. Our frailty, our foolishness became his. He acquainted himself with your suffering and your sorrows and your sin. So that with the psalmist we can confess in your presence is fullness of joy. Now, perhaps there are some cynics among us, some jaded people among us. I'm preaching to myself right now. And we might be tempted to think that all of this joy talk sounds a little disconnected from the painful realities of our lives and our world, especially right now. Should we not be serious about these things? Realities of white supremacy cloaked in American Christianity. Realities of both a climate crisis and a refugee crisis at the same time. Realities of earthquakes and hurricanes as well as of the more quiet and secret realities in our own hearts, discouragement and depression and despair. And so we have to remember the kind of joy that we're talking about this morning, church. If our faith is to be lived, if we are to be doers of the word who are rooted in our being with Christ, we must remember that this joy has been hard won for us. There is nothing sappy or selfish about this joy. Do not dare confuse this joy with the kind of shallow happiness and fleeting optimism that we're so well known for in this country. The Savior who we see, the one on whom we fix our eyes, is according to the author of Hebrews, the author and pioneer of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, before sitting down at the right hand of the Father. The joy that we're talking about this morning, the joy that comes from being with Jesus is the joy that grew from Calvary's blood-stained soil. The joy that we're talking about this morning is a joy that perseveres through suffering and through loss, through doubt and through betrayal, through pandemics of sickness and evil. This joy is the birthright of everybody belonging to the one who found salvation on that empty cross. So do not scorn the joy that is yours this morning. I know that new community people, we're an earnest group of people. We want to do the right thing. Am I right, Nate? We want to get it right. We want, we, want, we, want to, we want to do things the way they are supposed to be done. And we can be a serious group of people. And we can take ourselves pretty seriously. 
And if we're not careful, we'll miss the joy that is ours from being with Jesus. The natural joy of our salvation. We'll miss simply delighting in the Savior who calls us his own. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Do not take yourself so seriously that you miss out on the joy that is yours in your Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be embarrassed of this joy. Don't be too cynical for this joy. Times of transition and change, times of uncertainty are are necessarily difficult, but they need not be joyless. Child of God, you have the spiritual and emotional capacity to lament and to rejoice at the same time. You have the capacity in your life to hold space for grief and joy at the same time. The blessed life of God's presence has breached our rebellion and sin. The gates of hell cannot withstand the blessed life that simply is Christ's presence among us. Living for Jesus begins with being with Jesus, and this being must be joyful. How you and I do our faith in this season depends on our being with our Lord Jesus. New community, like the rest of us, you have some faithful doing ahead of you. Our neighbors need to see you living your faith, oriented by the one who claims lordship of all things. We have had enough of the hypocritical hearers, but we have also had enough of the frenetic and the exhausted doers. The life of Jesus-sustained faith is something different entirely. It is active, yes, but its action is rooted not in activity for its own sake, but in stillness and silence. With your sisters and brothers, it is rooted in the kind of seeing which really sees. So let me ask you this morning before you come to the table. Is there a characteristic of being with Jesus that the Spirit is drawing you to today? Some of us are being drawn to a more tenacious being. To a persevering, to an enduring, to a a remaining with Jesus, to an asking for help as we seek to be with Jesus? Is the invitation for you to draw more deeply into this community, this community whose existence can only be explained by the presence of Jesus among it? Are there practical and specific ways that the Spirit is inviting you to be with Jesus alongside of your sisters and brothers? Or is it joy that 
calls to you this morning? Has being with Jesus somehow gotten warped to something that feels mostly like a duty, like an obligation, like something you're trying to do to please God? Have you missed the joy that is your birthright in Jesus Christ? As you begin just to prepare yourself to come and receive the body and the blood of your Savior, What is the particular specific invitation for you this morning? What is the gift that God wants to give you this morning? The gift of endurance, the gift of community, the gift of joy. The apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 26. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you're at home watching online, I invite you to be sure you have your elements with you at this time. In a minute, I'll invite those of you who are here to come and receive the individual packets of the the juice and the the wafer together. But I want to invite us just for a moment, as Carlton plays, uh, to, to think about that question. So that our coming forward to the table today might be truly and genuinely receiving the presence of Christ in our lives. Not simply in a way in which we are remembering, but that we are experiencing. And perhaps for some of us this morning, there really is a particular way we are receiving. Where we are noticing the gift to endure, the the gift of God's people, or, or the invitation to rejoice. just take the next uh, minute or so in silent prayer and reflection, and then I'll invite us to come to the table. And so, Lord Jesus, our host, the one who welcomes us to your table, we pray now that as you invite us to take again and to remember, to remember how real and close your presence is with us, would you help us this morning to imagine a a way of being with you that leads to the abundant life. 
to li- it leads to a life of faith that does not wear us out, that does not exhaust us, that fills us with your very presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As the worship team leads us, when you are ready, I invite you to come forward and to receive, to hear the words of life proclaimed over you once again. The feast is served.